Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast to help you scale your Shopify store into a money-making machine. This episode is brought to you by Tidio, the highest rated live chat software on Shopify. Tidio helps Shopify merchants gain and retain more customers with personalized shopping experiences and automates up to 47% of recurring questions. Increase customer satisfaction and sales with personalized shopping experiences. Visit Tidio.com slash WWS to find out more and start using Tidio Premium with a discount exclusively for winning with Shopify listeners. Now over to your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For anyone that's not tuned in before, welcome to the show. Absolute pleasure to have you with us today. And I'm delighted to have you tuning in for your first time. We all had our first time at one point, And just to warn you, you're going to get very used to my voice um, over time. If it is your first time and you want to listen to some more episodes, hit the subscribe button, the follow button, whatever channel you're on. If you haven't already, check out our Instagram account. I believe we're on TikTok as well. I'm not personally a user of TikTok, but I have downloaded it now. We're also using our YouTube account. So it means you can see some shorts that we're posting. You can also watch the videos and see people's reactions to some of the more controversial questions that I ask or may be asked as we go through. If it's not your first time, check out some of our new mediums. And if you haven't already, please do leave us a review. If you do enjoy this podcast, it helps get the show out there and helps more people tune in, which means we can help more businesses through the advice that we give. Coming on to today then, so we're obviously in the middle of this series now talking about customer, what we call customer success, and how do we turn customer success into more customer sales, which is the most important thing. I'm joined by a very special guest today. His name is Blair Beckwith, and he is an expert when it comes to Shopify apps. And the reason I'm pulling that face is you'll find out in a minute as we get in. But Blair, welcome to the show. Morning, Nick. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you with us. And you've just said morning. It is afternoon in the UK for me, but morning for you. So wherever you're listening to this, it's probably one of the two, if not evening. Blair, before we dive in, we ask all of our guests. And again, Shopify apps, I know, doesn't cover everything that you do. So why don't you just give us a little bit of an overview, that, first of all, to your background, a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of got my start in e-commerce back in early 2012. I joined what was at the time a pretty small company in Ottawa called Shopify. You may have heard of it if you're listening <laughs> to this. Once or twice. <laughs> I, once or twice, yeah. I joined as an intern on a new team called the Shopify App Store team. That was a team of just a couple people at the time. A variety of things happened and that team shrunk down to kind of just me. And then I spent the next almost six years building that team up. When I left in kind of late 2017, I like to tell people that there's like nobody in the world who had seen more Shopify apps than me. And I think at the time that was true. Uh, I think things have changed a lot. Apps have gone crazy. There's now thousands of them in there, but I have never quite managed to escape sort of the Shopify app stores orbit. Since I left in 2017, I've been working with kind of a, a variety of startups, a variety of brands building inside of Shopify app ecosystem. These days, my company is called Railspur, and we invest and consult with technology companies in the space, as well as brands, helping them sort of navigate the Shopify tech stack, choosing the right technologies to solve their problems, and helping the SaaS companies themselves, the Shopify apps, understand kind of how merchants think, how to grow, how to solve problems in this world. And that's kind of how I spend most of my time these days and have for the past few years. Nice, nice. And it's it's interesting to hear, actually, that you came from Shopify themselves working in the app section. Because I think, 
and we're going to be talking more about this as well for everybody listening. We're talking a lot today about Shopify apps, specifically about customer success, because most apps in, in, engage with your customers or bring something new to your customers, especially. But it's rare to talk to someone that's been on the inside. And I think... I'm going to give you a, like a, a very short list of myths that have just popped into my head while you were sort of running through that. Um, I certainly know that a lot of merchants get very confused about which apps to use. They get confused about which apps to find. They often get confused well how much apps cost because it might be free to install the app, but you also might need a subscription to run on the app. So I guess question one to kind of kick off with is on the app store, so Shopify's apps, app store or app marketplace, I, I keep changing the name. I forget what it's called these days. Um, but on <laughs> Shopify apps, what is, what, what is one of the best ways for people to navigate that, to find the right app for whatever the given purpose is? There's certain things they should and shouldn't be doing as a merchant. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think like that's changed so much, right? Along with kind of the app store and the size and scope. I think back to the early days when you had, you know, when I joined, there was like 50 apps. Now I think we're we're in the mid thousands now. It's crazy. There's like multiple solutions for every need. There is like very few unsolved problems. So almost no matter what problem you have, there's something out there. And that's not even to consider all the solutions outside of the app store. I really have a lot of empathy for for new brands coming into this and trying to understand kind of how all these apps work, how they fit together, how to find the right solution for their needs. I think like this is something that Shopify has put a lot of attention into. If you've been sort of following along, you would have seen like a big app store redesign that I think is like moving very much in the right direction. I think over the years, you've been able to rely on things like ranking in the app store. Shopify has done a good job of like ranking by popular. And if something works for other brands and it's probably going to work for you, I think was kind of the assumption there's still an element of that, but they brought in some more editorial style, maybe is like the way that I would talk about it, where highlighting specific brands and their stacks using sort of more Shopify words rather than relying on partners. As somebody who like works with partners, I sort of, I sort of see both sides of this and I see how partners talk about their apps is maybe different than how their customers might talk about their apps and. Things like reviews are very important to partners, which incentivizes getting a lot of them and maybe not worrying about how truthful those reviews are. And so there really is kind of a lot to wade through. I think, yeah, most of the brands that I talk to rely so much on like person to person recommendations, right? There's like a lot of these communities, whether it's on Facebook or whatnot, where brands congregate to talk about this sort of thing. And that is always sort of my go to is like, find somebody you trust, whether you've known them for one minute or who can tell you kind of what's worked for them is definitely a thing. And I mean, I don't want to prattle on too much about this, but like trust is a big thing, right? And I think, I mean, this is something that I've increasingly been frustrated by maybe is like the Shopify influencer space, right? Some of these some of these people who talk a lot about how to grow on Shopify, I think they always have recommendations. And I think that's something that like I'm very careful about. I think a good barometer is to listen to people who actually run a business on Shopify and listen to their recommendations over people who talk about running a business on Shopify. Because in my experience, the ones who talk about running a business on Shopify often have these like relationships with apps where they might be getting a might be getting a bit of a kickback based on that recommendation. And so you can't always trust these experts. Yeah, I wonder if you're that good at running your business, so good that you're the one on the podium right now, 
why do you need to rely on YouTube income or something so heavily when YouTube don't actually pay yeah. much? You're not getting many yeah. views. It's, I think it's, it's one thing to jump on podcasts and go to conferences and share your experience. Um, you've just reminded me of this while I was sort of beaming, at, beaming back at you. You've reminded me of something that an influencer years ago, and this is probably six, seven years ago when Shopify was very new, probably around the time you were sort of moving on from the app team there. I remember watching a YouTube video that had nearly a million views of a guy, it was called like the number one killer app. And a guy saying like the one thing every store needs that guaranteed almost to double your revenue and stuff like this. And I had a look at that video and it was this, it was horrible. On the left-hand side of the screen, when you land on the, on the, on the store's site, a wheel of fortune would appear and you click spin <laughs> and it would spin <laughs> and you get a free reward. And anyone who's been tuning in for a long time will know I, yeah, will know I sound like a complete hypocrite because so long time ago, Winning with Shopify was run by a, a, a different business to the one to my business that runs it now. There's a different business and we used to have that exact thing on our website. And when I got involved as CEO, that was the first thing I did is rip that off the website. <laughs> and when we ripped it off, our conversion yeah. rate went up. Not down, but up. More people converted because we yeah. didn't have a wheel of fortune and people refreshing the site to try and win the free, you know, free month with us or whatever. But I think I think it's a, a very interesting point you've raised actually about recommendations and and forums. And I think as you say, I, I would completely back the, the point that anyone who's run a business is going to have come across these problems. So whether that's listening to them talk on a podcast or finding them in groups or even reaching out to some of them and say, hey, look, I'd sell a completely different product to you, but I love your website and aspire to be like you. Can I ask what sort of apps you guys use? Equally, there's a great tool. I don't know if you've come across this before, Blair, but one I use quite a lot called Built With. And you can put any site into Built With and it won't necessarily tell you every single app, but it will certainly tell you some of the apps. It will tell you if they're using MailChimp, .digital, Clavio, for example, and start to break out some of those things. But recommendation surely is the, the best way to go because they'll also say we've tested 10 and this is the one we're using. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple other good solutions for that too. There's an app called Store Leads. Uh, I believe their website is storeleads.app and it's sort of like built with, but specifically for kind of the e-commerce ecosystem. And then and so they go even like a, a little bit deeper and are able to surface some apps that built with doesn't. Definitely check out Store Leads if you're curious. Nice, nice. Yeah, I think that's the other. Yeah, that's the other nice thing as sort of this sort of ecosystem has grown up is it's become sort of it's become feasible to build a business sort of around this problem, right? Back in the day when there was like 50, 60 apps, there was like 20,000 merchants, it was hard to build sort of a business around helping people with this problem. But now that the merchant base is so large, it's all of a sudden become quite feasible to try out new models for helping for helping brands. I really think this is a problem that's worth solving. The apps world has just gone so crazy over the last little bit. And there's just so much out there. I, yeah, like I said, I definitely feel I feel the pain for brands who are coming in today and trying to understand yeah. all this. I think the worst thing as well is you look at if you start just going around the app store going, what else could I add? I feel like you've already failed. I, I always yeah. say I say the same <laughs> with Google Analytics, which led me to this thought preparing for this this conversation today is I think if you know what you want before you get in there, then you've got a really specific target. And let's face it, time is money. If you're going to sit there faffing about with like playing with this, playing with that and getting distracted going, oh, look, we could put the, this logo in our footer by using this app. It's like, but if you just drop the logo in yourself and shrunk it and put it in as a WebP image, much faster page speed and you don't need this app and you certainly don't want to give another app access to all your data. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a thing that I encourage people to think about. There's this guy, Cal Newport. He's an author. He's written a couple of books around productivity. And he has like, he has a really interesting framework for thinking about this. He's very much an advocate for like using technology 
less or maybe using technology smarter. And he's talking about it from like a personal level, but I think it's like very applicable to a store owner's life as well, right? Where if you go into the app store and you look at any app, there is like a benefit to using it, but the bar needs to be higher than that. Like if you installed any app that had any benefit, then you would install every app. And that is just not feasible. Like we need to recalibrate our bar for what benefit is worthwhile because every app has a cost, not not only monetary, but in just like complexity and what it does to your store. You mentioned like giving all of your data to apps. Like that's a thing. How many apps do you want to give all of your store's data to? And what are you getting in return from that? The answer to that needs to be more than just any benefit. It needs to be something that is like meaningful for your business. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess, so we've spoken about the wrong sort of apps and how to find apps. I understand you've got a few ideas about what apps people should be using, some of the top apps that are available at the moment that you think stores should, as we said, all the caveats of check it for your store, think about it before you use it. But what are some of the apps you think stores should be using? And the the caveat to that question is to make more money. (laughs) You know, what's driving sales at the moment? Yeah, no, for sure. This is like a, this is a really good question. And I mean, I mentioned earlier, you know, you should always be careful listening to people like me, right, who have sort of like occasionally like a vested interest in their recommendations. I'm going to yeah, try yeah. and stay away from ones where I do have a vested interest as much as possible. Cool. And if I mention one, I'll say like, <laughs> or hey, just like, say you've got um, a vested interest guys. and we all uh, know that's it. <laughs> it's still a good app. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I think this is a really exciting time for apps. I mentioned earlier that like there's very few unsolved problems left in the app store. There is kind of like something for most problems. There's a solution out there. One of the things that I feel sort of pretty pretty strongly about from just watching this ecosystem for years is that like every kind of like three to four years, I want to say, there's kind of like there's a new entrant in a space that has somebody that's already super established. Think about this, like customer service, for example, like some of the players that we all know, like Gorgeous, they've been around for kind of like three to four years. They've been like pretty dominant. They've been like the number one recommendation for brands that want to solve this customer service. And we're starting to see some players kind of come into this a little bit more. I think this whole series is sponsored by our friends over at Tidio. They're like a really interesting one of this, right? Where they've done chatbots forever, but they're expanding into like more general ticketing. And I think there's like, there's some really interesting new entrants in sort of every space every three to four years and so that's actually how i talk to brands about picking solutions right it's like we don't want to be migrating tools all the time but let's pick sort of like the best solution for the next three to four years of this business and with the understanding that every business is different and has different needs there is no kind of one size fits all I know the theme here is customer service, so also kind of thinking about that as well. Things like ticket reduction, I think, are like a really interesting space. I think like one way to measure customer success and customer support is like how many tickets do you get versus how many do you solve? I think that's one way. But like I think focusing on reduction in the number of tickets is super important. I think they've been talking for years, every customer service platform in e-commerce about like what percentage of your customer service tickets are, where's my order, right? That's like the number one thing. If you can eliminate that question, you're eliminating like 
30% of your customer service load. And every sort of customer service tool out there, I think, does a good job of automating yeah, yeah. away that question. I think there's, um, there's two ways to do that yeah. as well, aren't there? With just, just yeah. on the kind of, yeah, where's my order? And I think one is making it super easy when they have that question to get them to the answer quickly. You know, that every email you've sent after that, it's got like an order status button. They click it and it automatically logs them in. It takes them straight to their order status. And if that just says dispatched, you've kind of failed. It needs, to, it needs to say like, where is it? You know, where is the actual tracking happening now? Linking into the shop app. I think there's a flip side of that though, is they won't need to do that if you are sending them regular updates. And I think as a, one of other, I can't remember who it was, so apologies if you're listening. Whoever it was, please message me and we'll put it in the notes at the bottom if we can. But one of our guests months ago actually said that when they were sending out updates to people, they viewed it slightly differently and said, we're actually training them to receive marketing. So they were sending SMS and email saying your order's on its way, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. They were getting them into the routine of receiving stuff. So then said, your order's arriving today. And actually, if you want a top up, then you have seven days after today to click here to get a half price top up. Now they've made a second order. We've just increased lifetime value. So there's stuff like that, but they, they looked at it like we were training people to receive those SMS messages or those emails, which I thought was really tactical, actually. But certainly there's lots of ways to do that, isn't there? Yeah, well, and I think that's one of the, I mean, you mentioned at the top also like focusing on increasing sales, right? That's definitely a priority for every store. And I think like if you look back at like order tracking tools a few years ago, or maybe more than a few years, five, six years ago, that was viewed primarily as like a customer service reduction thing. And I think it still very much is that, but there's new tools like Wonderment that are sort of turning that into like a bit of like a sales channel in a way. And I'll say, I've got no relationship with Wonderment. Uh, they're just a, a tool that <laughs> I really yet, like. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, not yet. <laughs> That's funny. But I think there's like a lot of really interesting opportunities to take what have traditionally been cost centers like customer service and turning them into, into profit centers in ways that you can make more sales and truly sort of leveraging those touch points. There's another app called Spently that I know a bunch of people there. And they told me years ago, and it made so much sense. What they do is that they're like a order confirmation email replacement. And one of the things that they said that always made me laugh is like, the order confirmation email on average has an over 100% open rate. It's the only email that not only does every customer open, but they open it more than once. Right? And that was like so interesting to me is it's like, we're sending so much email marketing and being satisfied with like 20% open rates, 25 <laughs> if we're really good. Meanwhile, we have like this real estate that customers are going to and they're refreshing it every, like mul- multiple times a day because they're excited. And why aren't we turning that into a sales channel? Right. Yeah. I think there's very small. Uh, I think there's like so many opportunities just like that. And what was the name of that one? Sorry, I think people are going to want to know that one. Yeah, that was an app called Spently. Yeah, we'll make sure that gets in the notes. 100%. No, there's tons of stuff too. I think AI is like a very hot topic right now that I think is funny. It feels like there was like such a slow burn with AI over the years where it was maybe talked about, whispered about. I think for a long time, it looked like it was kind of going to go the way of Web3 and crypto and some of these buzzier topics. But then in the last year or so, it feels like things have really taken off. And I mean, especially in the last few months with some of this like chat GPT stuff, I'm like by no means an expert, but we're starting to see 
the time from seeing the first sort of tech demos of that to seeing implementation in real business feels like it's been like so small, right? There's like a bunch of Shopify apps coming out now that are like using this AI to like write product descriptions, answer tickets to call back to like the where's my order thing. It felt like on the customer service side for a long time, where's my order was like the only ticket type that could be reliably automated. And now it feels like we are like months away from being able to automate so much (laughs) of customer service. It's going to be interesting. I mean, as a... Yeah, as an SEO person, Google has all but publicly announced that anyone who uses chat GPT or any AI software they can detect to write product descriptions, Google is going to be absolutely throwing them off the first page of Google. There's not been an update to confirm that at the time of recording, but as you say, things are happening quickly. It's going to be interesting to see how Google responds to that because we as a team have used it a little bit, just the right stuff, just going, write me a news article about this. Okay, that's rubbish. Do another one. That's rubbish. Do another one. Oh, that's quite good. And then we've written an article using some of the sources and facts and figures that have come in from that. But I think the point being is that we're still filtering it, which in a way is good because then we've still got the human element of we can charge the client and we still need to do a job. I also think that what Google doesn't want, and we all know that's going to happen, is it's going to be round. For anyone who's been in the SEO world at all or knows the history of the SEO world, we've got link farming 101 about to happen as round two. Back then it was, Google said, if you've got links into your site, it's all really good. Still the case, but they need to be of good quality and quality is an enormous topic in the SEO world. But People were then just building like a site with links to all of their clients. An SEO agency would build it with links to all their clients. They would then duplicate that site a million times and change the domain by like two or three characters every time, buying domains out. And Google said, if you do that, we're putting you in the bin. So the challenge now is how many sites, it's not a bad idea, but how many sites now are going to be built off the back of just AI generated content, which AI needs human content to learn. And the way it learns is it crawls the internet. So ChatGPT is crawling the internet to find all this content. So at what point is there going to be so much AI content out there that AI is feeding AI? And us humans, we're the ones who buy and shop and make decisions. are going to read stuff on people's sites and go, that's rubbish. It doesn't bring to life anything. And actually, I would argue at the moment, I'm, you know, I'm certainly not a conspiracy theorist or anything, but I would argue that I think this is one where AI is going to have its place. But I think the brands that sit down and talk to other humans and come up with what they actually want to be and who they want to be, they're the ones that have always thrived. And I think they're going to be the ones that continue to thrive. So word of caution with it, I would say, but it's certainly an interesting time to see what it could do. And actually, what if you used an AI bot to crawl back through like every single order your store's ever had and tell you one small piece of information? And it does that based on you asking it a question rather than an Excel formula. That's powerful. That's really powerful. So I think there's going to be some really interesting places to use it for sure. Yeah, I think you touched on something really, really interesting there where like, and this feeds into a lot of sort of the discussion around Shopify versus Amazon and things like that. Like Shopify is like fundamentally like people buying from people. And I don't think AI is can or should disrupt that. I mean, I was in Vermont for a wedding last weekend and me and my wife stopped in at like a small boutique to buy something for my two-year-old who we left at home with grandparents great weekend away Um, (laughs) (laughs) and i walked into a store and like the owner was there and the products in the store they looked like the type of souvenirs you would find like at any souvenir shop in any tourist town in the world but she was there and she had her sewing machine in the back and she was like sewing and we got talking and within like a minute of talking to her i realized like there's no way that i am leaving the store without buying something like i don't think i can and i think like that is like the human element of shopping that 
I think it's like it's harder to bring online. It's very powerful. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's very powerful if you can do it right. And like AI is not going to replace that. You know, like customer service platforms are building like AI powered chatbots, and that's great. But like it's it's going to solve a lot of busy work, but I think there's always going to be room for just like a human conversation around this. Even just this week, Apple announced that they're doing like live video chat on site for people who are like shopping for a new phone. And you can like chat with like an Apple expert on site with like live video. And that's like, I mean, if Apple is still, I mean, maybe not today, I'm not sure, very recently have been the most valuable company in the world. They place a lot of value on these human relationships. And so like, I believe that they know something and that that's going to remain important. And we we had our good friends at uh, Ghost Retail on the show recently as well, talking about live shoppable videos. And that was cool. That was, whether you're in the warehouse, a showroom, or you're actually in a store, you can connect, you can just join the queue and connect with someone and that person can walk you around. The thing I loved about their tool especially is you can, you can actually control the basket as the merchant. So if we're walking around the shop and they're like, oh, I love that product. Like, what size am I going to need? You say, well, this is actually European sizing. So you're going to need this size if you're this size in the US. Therefore, like, just, cool, I've added it to your cart for you. And then you can even stay with them while they go through the cart and purchase. You say, I can't see anything that's going on now. But yeah, let me stay with you. And then they get to a point they're like, oh, it's just said the delivery cost. I wasn't expecting that. And now you've got a chat person on video who can say, yeah, we're really sorry, but we deliver our products properly. And actually we carbon offset. That's the reason we have an idea. So all the, you know, cost for all the gas that's used, to, you know, the gasoline to get, your, get, get the product to your house, we're actually going to have carbon offsets. So that money goes complete. We cover the cost of delivery. That goes towards planting trees. And it's like, oh, oh yeah, it does say that actually. Cool, right, finish, finish your payment. And somebody you would have lost, you know, keep. So I think it's really powerful bringing that into play. But yeah, as you say, making the, the store environment more physical. The problem of that though is, which is going to be my next question, I think, which is an important point to talk about, is all these apps can get quite expensive, both buying the app, paying the subscription for the app, and then like I've just explained, the customer service element. Well, you need someone that's free. And if your store's doing its job, no one's free because you've got loads of customers running around your store. How do you quantify the cost of some of these apps? Like, so it's easier said than done on some of them, but how do you start to drill down on that to, to understand your value that you're getting from them? Yeah, I think this is like, this is a really good and a really hard question. I think like in a perfect world, there would be like an analytics tool that plugged into every app that you use to run your business and pulled in perfect data around attribution and around like whatever key metrics these apps are trying to influence. And like, wouldn't it be lovely? <laughs> wouldn't it be lovely? I mean, especially on the attribution side, I feel like the attribution question has been an open question forever. Still haven't found really a guest to, to cover that to... one, but yes, sorry. <laughs> I know. I've, I've got a couple of people that I could recommend Please you talk do. to, but I think like, even. Yeah. You heard it here, yeah, folks. I mean, even Bold statement from Blair. That's, <laughs> no, yeah, we'd love to. Love to but, but yeah, so how do we... Yeah, yeah, how, sorry, I keep interrupting you. How do we uh, track the value of that? I think the best you can do is, is pick like what your sort of North Star metrics are as a brand, especially as like a smaller or a newer store. Like there's a lot of noise in these numbers when you're looking at a bunch of numbers you might if you're like a brand new store that's starting and you're getting you know five orders a month or 10 orders a month like you're truly just starting and you get a month where you get seven orders when you typically get five like did you actually increase your order volume by by 40 percent? was that like an <laughs> app that did that or is it just is it just noise you happen to get two more orders that month right i think it can be i think it can be really hard and i actually for the very smallest stores, I actually try to talk people into not tracking these things too much. 
And also, I mean, how this fits into apps is like using as few apps as possible, right? In the beginning, I think that is like, that is truly, truly the most important thing. I think back to like how this problem has grown, like early 2012, I think the average number of apps per store on Shopify was like three and a half, which I was like very excited about, you know? And now I think like most recent numbers I've heard is it's like 14 per store. <laughs> and That's rest, too much yeah. for small stores to manage. <laughs> yeah. To manage, let alone measure. But I think like I'm doing a very bad job of dodging your question because I don't think there's a really good answer. So I'm talking yeah, around yeah. it, right? I think for bigger stores that that have teams behind them, I think it becomes like a more manageable solution. I still think quantifying it is hard. I'd go back to that sort of um, that um, any benefit analysis I mentioned earlier is like looking at the benefit and comparing it to, okay, like does this tool now necessitate a team to manage it? That starts to be a bit too much for the benefit that we're getting. And I think like that's largely how I would think about it. I know it's not a very satisfying answer, but like I said, yeah, fine. a perfect world where there is a tool that manages all this for us, unfortunately doesn't exist yet as much as I might want it to. Well, maybe AI one day, maybe. Maybe AI. I mean, that's like... That's a thing for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think you've made some really good points though. And I think also when you're small, having less apps and sometimes doing stuff a bit more manually, I think is acceptable. I think you kind of go through these different stages. And I think when it comes to apps, there's definitely a stage of just, you you know, get get from five to seven orders a month. Just get it done, you know. Like, we, we, I mean, you, you you work for yourself now. I've, I've I've run a few businesses over the years and got a couple at the moment. It's it's hard graft. You have to do whatever it takes to get those first few orders in. I think once you get through that stage, then you then you start going right. There's something in this now. We've matured a bit. We've learned what's going on. Now we need to get into scalability. So now actually we do need we need the apps. We need the processes. We need the efficiency. And I guess the way you could quantify some apps um, in a way is going, right, well, this used to take us an hour per customer to work out. It now doesn't take us an hour. It takes us nothing because the app has replaced that. Those are quite easy. I think the harder ones are like, we've added a chat widget to the site. How much more money are we making? Well, we don't know because at the same time, we entered our peak month and we also scaled up our PPC budget. We did a competition and a flash sale. So no idea. Absolutely no. What we do know is customers using it. So we should continue to provide it because they're using it. But yeah, I love what you said as well about big businesses. I think once you get to a certain size and you've got your customer service team and say there's like 200 of them, some you know, nice big company, 200 of them sitting in a big office, just taking inbound calls and also making outbound calls to customers. When you've got that, you've actually got a big enough metric, as you say, to quantify it. You can run reports, you can put something on the screen in the corner. So to smaller stores, I'd say don't discredit that, but also don't do it now because you don't need to. But I think in terms of in terms of answering some of their questions, certainly in SEO, we're, we're sitting down all the time with customer service teams and sales teams, whether it's Shopify and e-commerce or it's a lead gen business we also work with, sitting down with the sales teams and saying, what are the reasons people reject your proposals or what do you always put into proposal? Putting as much of that as we can on the website whilst also being tactical about you know, in that scenario, we do want them to phone up. So we don't want to give them all the answers. We want to give them enough. They're like, these guys are really good. They're the best in the industry. We need to call them, but don't give away the price yet. Cause you say to them, well, we need to work out the price. You already want it, which is good. So we make them want it, but don't give it to them straight away. But certainly in e-commerce, I think there's an element of having a look at your user journey and going, okay, when, I think it's also giving the right information, but giving it the right times. So I gave the example earlier about delivery. Delivery is a really controversial one. If you put free delivery on your site and then you don't actually offer that because they've gone for next day or something else, 
but you didn't make it clear to them what was going on at the right time. And Shopify makes it difficult to hide that, which is good. You know, they control the cart unless you're on plus. And even then, they still, to some degree, control the the cart process, which is good. But I certainly think, as we said, too many apps are too many. I think you've got to look at the value to customer. And I I loved your thing about North Star. I think the the first, my first thought when you said that is that if you've got a proper customer mission, Here's the problem we're going to solve in the world here. You know, we had Last Object on uh, recently, a Shopify store. They make products that are, the idea is it's your last time you ever buy this product because it's so good. It's also made from plastic that's been, been vacuumed up from the ocean. It's been vacuumed up and we've made the product out of the plastic that's been vacuumed out of the ocean. So you're solving problems here of cleaning up the ocean. It's the last time you ever buy this thing, hence Last Object. And if you missed that episode, ironically, we were talking to them about lifetime value and customer retention. How do you retain a customer when your brand messages don't come back? Really interesting conversation with them actually but certainly with those guys i mean there's there's a mission they're trying to solve there so then you could offset some of your apps going yes there's a financial matter here we can't just buy every app available to us but actually what we could do that i think could be could be beneficial is going how does this help us on our mission because we know customers want us to clean up the ocean how's this app going to support that maybe the app's a real-time counter of um it knows per product how much plastic we take out the ocean to make each product so every time one's sold it like updates saying how many tons of plastic we're taking out the ocean that's an app worth having as long as it doesn't cause any other problems but actually as you say as you rightly said Blair the, the quantification's not it's made us X amount more we're never going to know because it's like changing the colour on your site well how much more money you're making well we don't really know but the colour looks cool <laughs> or, it, or it's more fitting of our brand which is part of the long term thing yeah I think that's like I think that's all that's all very important I think like you mentioned like content and like brand storytelling and mission like all of these things are things that an app can't solve for you <laughs> and I think like this is true for all stores. I think it's maybe like doubly true for small stores. Like the things that are going to help you get your first sales take you from like zero to one, from one to 10. They're not apps. They are things like storytelling. They're things like looking at your customer journey and providing the right information at the right time. Like you say, I think like these are all much more important. I think like one of the disservices that we've done as an industry is like presented everything as like a problem to be solved with a tool. And yes. I think like <laughs> this is true sort of I mean, this is true even with like Shopify the platform, I think, to a certain extent, right? And it's I think it's really important for like these like mission driven brands. Like I think like they don't have to worry about this. But like some of the like purely drop shipping brands that have like proliferated over the years and things like that, like that is like totally a respectable business and i love that these guys exist but you have to think about your storytelling and your brand in a different way and i think like understanding sort of like what your overall what your overall strategy and as you say mission is like much more important than picking another tool for the stack that's gonna just ultimately slow you down yeah, yeah. and if you're anything like us you probably had those conversations with... it's probably not good for me to say like, so... <laughs> yeah i was gonna say your conversation with clients over the years where it's like they say like look here's the challenge here's what we need to solve and you kind of shrug of it and go that is not my problem i'm sorry but yeah i can't i can't <laughs> hire staff for you it's not my job i can drive more customers to your store yeah. but i can't hire staff yeah, yeah. Yeah, not everything is an easy solve. Sometimes you actually have to just grind it out, right? Put in the work. Yeah. I think one one thing that's one thing that's good to do, and we, we did this with a client recently, it's been so fruitful, is writing out a list of the things we need to know to make our next set of decisions. And this client in particular, we were talking about and we did actually use an app for this, but it was but my point being is it was not the obvious app we would have gone to. We wanted to increase their conversion rate. 
we weren't converting enough people landing on the site. We're driving lots of people there. They weren't biting. Some of them were, but it was like, we're getting like an un, less than 1% conversion rate. It's quite a standard product that you have all around. You have multiple of these around your house. It's nice and easy. And we said to them, we, we don't know what customers really want and what they don't like. We know what they do, but we don't know why. So we said to them, right, do some, you know, get a NPS score, get some surveys out to customers, get your sales team in the bigger parent company, get them to phone customers and just ask them questions. And it was a really amusing because they came back to me and said, we're not having much luck. We've had one response so far. And I said, right, what did that say? And they were like, oh, just somebody was like one of the first times they've bought online. I said, well, hang on a minute. There's something in there. I know I don't want to make a quantified, you know, across the board decision, but why did they buy from us? Did they look at multiple sites? And, oh, we didn't ask them that. Like reply to the email and ask them. Can we, sorry, can we ask you a few more questions? Why did you buy from us? Why did you trust us if you don't normally buy online? What was it that helped you buy from us? Because you might find it something tucked down in the footer of your website and actually we need to make it bigger. Let's run a test. Let's do an A-B test. Well, version A has that as a big statement. Version B doesn't leave it at the bottom and see, are we actually seeing a difference here or was it just a one-off? You know, don't do the test based on one. But when they got some more quantified data from more customers as well, we, we found that actually customers loved their products, but they just didn't have enough information and their first gut feeling was to just flood the pages with information, to which we say, we well, don't do that. Let's think tactically, what is the information they need? Like, oh, we didn't ask that. Right, go back to them and say, look, subset of questions, and we'll give you a voucher this time because you've been so kind of giving us round one of feedback. We need round two now. What information did you need? Uh, you know, could you tick any of these boxes? I needed to know delivery, returns, reviews, blah, blah, blah. And no one ticked the review one. However, the, when, they, when we did this again after we had gained thousands of reviews rather than a few hundreds, everyone ticked that now. I needed to know that. So now we're, our customer is changing based on the fact that we have more information, which I thought was quite quantifiable, which very much outside of what we normally do with our clients on PPC and SEO, but, but it, it helped massively. You know, we got the conversion rate up from less than 1% to nearly three, which now meant we were getting three, threefold increase in revenue per customer. And we hadn't actually changed the campaigns. We, yeah. yeah, we did, but we didn't change the PPC campaigns at this point. That's so fascinating, right? Like, I think like that's probably just like a good rule and a good takeaway for like me to tuck away in my back pocket, right? Is like, um, if you don't know what to do in your business, it feels like you can never go wrong by your first step being like, talk to your customers. <laughs> like, that's never going to be a mistake. <laughs> it's scary if you've not done it. Yeah. You're like, oh, here we go. We're going to get a barrage of complaints. It's like, well, I hope not, because if they complain, yeah. they're calling themselves idiots because they bought from your site. So Yeah, it's a good customer success rule too. It right. is. It so, is indeed. It. it is. Well, anyway, look, Blair, it's been great to have on the show. We'll, we'll bring things into land in a sec. But final question from me is, if someone's listening and they're like, I don't know what apps to get for my store, or someone's listening going, we are an app and we're not getting out there very much, or actually, we want to develop the app, we need some investment. How do people get in touch with you? What's the best way to reach out? Yeah, absolutely. You can find me, I would say, social media-wise, I'm most active on Twitter, where I'm just Blair Beckwith. You can check out my pitiful website at railspur.co. It's pretty light. It's one of those, I'll solve that problem later. Don't go there expecting much. But no, Twitter's great. Website's great. Or just Blair at railspur.co via email. I've tried to structure sort of like my business and life such that I can be super helpful to as many people as possible. I'm always down to talk to anybody, client or not. So don't think that you're wasting my time if you get in touch. Always, always happy to happy to chat with anybody. Great. Well, look, Blair, it's been amazing having the show today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Nick, thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we get to chat again soon.
Nice, nice. Well, thank you very much. And for everybody listening at home, we're obviously going to be continuing this series for a few more weeks now. So if you've got any questions about customer success, customer service, feel free to go to our website, fill out any of the forms, send in a quick question. We have to try and answer it on the show or better try and answer it directly if I can. And I know the answer. If not, I'll defect it to one of our lovely guests. So winningwithshopify.com, go and check that out. Thanks so much for tuning in. We're back again next week. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter for exclusive offers at winningwithshopify.com. And don't forget to check out our Facebook group by searching for Winning with Shopify on Facebook. Over and out.